Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you go on tour, you don't get taught about PTSD at all. I thought, I'm six foot four, 18 stone. I'd never get PTSD. Not me, not me. I'm, I'm fine. I didn't know I had it. This one is really deep, so I hope you have your feels prepped and ready to go. Craig Harrison holds the record for the longest sniper kill. It's a truly remarkable skill. It's something he did at 2,475 metres, and that's just a big string of numbers, really, but it equates to 25 football pitches. Imagine trying to shoot a target at just one football pitch away, let alone 25. Add to that the immense pressure he was under in the Helmand province of Afghanistan because he took out two machine gunners who were about to kill the rest of his team. I'm absolutely in awe of someone who can do that and he's truly a hero. And Craig talks about that fateful day, becoming a sniper and all those quite incredible things in the first half of this episode. It's a funny thing with the armed forces because the US knows how to venerate the people who put their lives at risk to defend their country. In the UK, we don't. And I was as guilty as anyone with this because it's just not seen as cool or progressive. Support for the armed forces, support for the poppy, a symbol we wear to celebrate and remember our military heroes, is seen to be aligned with nationalism and jingoism and the far right. And now... I think that's terribly sad because you have every right to disagree with and protest against the government's choice in going to war. But the soldiers, the military personnel who risk everything so we can sleep tight and not have to think about that kind of thing. I'm just incredibly grateful for them. And here's the thing. They make very real sacrifices and few more so than Craig. And that's what we talk about in the second half of the podcast. These men and women are not robots. It's not easy to kill another human being, even at a distance of 25 football pitches. Craig suffers from post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD. His description of it is just like in the movies with the flashbacks, the night terrors, waking up, strangling his pillow, forcing him and his wife to sleep in separate beds for safety concerns. His life will never be the same and it wasn't helped when the Ministry of Defence revealed Craig's identity as the longest sniper. They're not supposed to do that and it was discovered that terrorists in the UK who beheaded the soldier Lee Rigby had plans to behead Craig. His family had to leave for several years, leave the country that is, until it all died down. The Ministry of Defence had to pay Craig £100,000, which is a nice bit of money, but it's not money I'd take if it meant the risk of beheading. I really treasure this episode because the second half takes such a turn and drop in tone. It's one of the most touching and poignant interviews I've ever done as Craig discusses suicidal thoughts and the horrors of his life with PTSD. Now, Craig is a big, burly lad of six foot four, which is my height, but he's about twice my weight, such as his muscular physique. And he's also bearded and covered in tattoos. So I hope dearly that he helps to change stereotypes around what it is to be a man. Because if it's courage, honesty, and selflessness, Craig has those in spades. He's written a book, a bestseller called The Longest Kill, so please support him as you support all our guests by getting hold of it in all the normal book places. That's the longest kill. Coming up are episodes with James Altucher, who is an expert in everything and has an amazing, weird, interesting life. Fighter pilot Ryan Graves on UFOs and UAPs that he's seen in the sky. And Chris Shelton and Mike Rinder as well coming on to talk about Scientology, Tom Cruise and uh, the stuff with that fella from that 70s show who's uh, under allegations of rape at the moment. Also, Michael Shermer is coming on to talk about conspiracy theories and Dr. Avi Loeb, the Harvard astrophysicist, will be talking about all sorts of weird and wacky theories. Well, I guess not wacky because he's a Harvard astrophysicist, so just things that are pretty uh, out there. Many more big names are coming up. But now you're on the edge of PTSD and the longest kill 
with Craig Harrison. Craig Harrison, thanks for being on the edge. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. I'm all good, mate. What do you think about my mittens that I've just shown you before the show? Yeah, well, if it's not raining, it's not training, as they say. So uh, you need to test new things out, don't you? For anyone who doesn't know, I've got heated uh, mittens because I don't want to put the heating on before October uh, because it's getting cold, but everything's too expensive. But that's not what you're here to talk about. Tell us a bit about your background, Craig. Well, I served uh, 23 years in the Army, uh, the Regiment, the Household Cavalry, and my regiment split into two. So it's the Blues and Royals and the Lifeguards, and I was a Blue and Royal uh, in the Household Cavalry. Uh, I did five years uh, mounted service, uh, doing troopmen of colour and, and state openings and things like that when the, uh, when the Queen was alive. And... Um, then I moved over to the armoured side because our regiment split into two. So you've got a ceremonial side and you've got the armoured side and it's armoured reconnaissance. So we push forward in the battlefield and gather um, information of the enemy and stuff like that. And then I became a sniper and uh, sort of just went on from there, really. I just got, you know, just... Uh, just progressed on and on and on let me ask you actually something i hadn't even thought about but having you know been in the armed services um i, I suppose you've uh you've you've served the queen uh i mean does it does it hit people in the armed services harder uh, her death sorry i should say yeah yeah it does really uh you know very patriotic you know especially when you serve next to the queen um sort of like uh like the guards the guards division the household division itself you know like the coal streamers and stuff like that and all the other guards divisions and the household cavalry as well you know all the royal family you become uh close to because you see them all the time you know in, in the different parades that you do yeah so it does hit home it's, it should be sadly missed sadly missed did you meet any? Have you met any of them in person? Yeah, yeah, I've knew you met all the royal family, and uh, yeah, and Prince Harry and Prince William were in my regiment, so oh, they wow. joined the household cavalry, and uh, Harry went on to join the air corps, and uh, Prince William went on to join the air corps as well. So Are they nice fellas, yeah, brilliant fellas, yeah, really nice. You know, and uh, Harry was down to earth, and uh, obviously William's a different character. Everyone's got a different character than their brothers and all that. You know, he was more. Um, I think he was more in line for the throne than anything else. So he had more uh, pressure on his shoulders. And then, but Charles took over. So that's where it goes, I suppose. Uh, yeah, but well, he'll he'll eventually be king, won't he? I mean, was he a bit more sort of uh, serious? I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry was more like uh, more relaxed around us than anything. And and so tell me, how does one become a sniper? I mean, I I did the only time I've ever held a gun was um, recently. I was shooting a potato. We had one of these things. It was like you've got these guns and you, you're at you have to, it's like quite far away and you've got to shoot a potato. And it, the stress of having to keep it exactly still it, it reminded me of you know those toys where you've got a you've got to put something over a metal line without touching the line and it beeps if you touch it. It's like that kind of stress. How, how did you, what what got you into it? I just, I don't know. Um, as a child, I was a bit of a loner. Um, I did, I had horses uh, when I was younger. So I was more, um, I didn't socialise as much as a child. So I was very much of a loner. So the sniper sort of uh, being on loan sort of uh, suited me down to the ground, you know. And um, I just wanted to be a better soldier, really. I wanted to um, to prove myself more. And uh, apart from doing special forces, you know, um, sniping was the, the next level up. And, uh, you know, I achieved it. I did a basic sniper course, and then I did my section commanders, and then I did platoon commanders, and then I did advanced sniping, shooting from mountains and things like that. And I couldn't go any higher than in my sniper world, you know. Do you need, uh, so what do you need to be a sniper? Do you need like perfect eyesight? Are there a few things like that? Yeah, you need 20-20 vision. Uh, you need patience. Uh, you need to like your own company as well. Uh, you need to like the wet. Because uh, they call it, uh, in the army, they call it monging it, basically. Because when you get wet, 
that's a sniper's paradise because when you've got eyes on your target, you know, and when you're training, everyone's got their head down because no one likes getting wet. But a sniper's and he would take that shot and take that person out because they're not paying attention. They're more concerned about being wet and stuff like that. So yeah, there's there's elements of snipering that uh, you need to know, um, like the heat as well. People monging in the heat stuff like that but you need to excel in all sorts of weathers and all different climates so the heat and the wet are both good because people they what what's this word that you're saying what's how do you spell that mong it it's it's the thing that is terminology in the army it's when you're just your head's down and you can't be asked your head's down and you can't be asked because you're hot or you're wet or you're cold you know and then you know that your sniper will pick you off there you know, especially in training you know, when we go training with different regiments and all that, and they play the enemy, you know, it's uh, it's paradise. What what do you use for the training? Is it like paintballs and stuff? No, no, it's like a thing called Tezex. So basically, a laser beam will come out of your rifle, and when you press the trigger, you have like a box on top of your sniper rifle, and the laser beam will come out, and it hit a vest, and you have a thing around your helmet called a halo, and you wear this vest as well, and basically a beep. And it'll constantly beep, 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 beep. And you'll have a little box on your right-hand side. I think it's either on your right or left-hand side. And on there, it'll tell you where you've been hit. You've got a catastrophic headshot. You know, you're dead. You're injured. And the only way you can stop that beeping is to lay down, you know. And then, yeah, then you get an instructor that is in charge of the um, exercise. It will come over and godgun you. And he revitalise you back into the game again. That's to stop you cheating, I guess. It makes you lie down. Yeah, yeah. They, they, we used to go on exercise in Canada, and these exercises were like six million odd pound. You know, a lot of money involved. And to, I remember a story being heard that two snipers held up the whole battle group. Now, a battle group is absolutely fucking massive, and every time they came through this little channel, these snipers, these two snipers, were just popping them off, and the vest were beeping all the time and they held them up for two days and eventually the instructors had to go up to the snipers and just god gun them and make them beep and kill them because they weren't going to carry on with this exercise with the snipers being there so yeah snipers are very devastating in the battlefield yeah very devastating when you get beeped like that i know it's only a training exercise but i suppose i'm just trying to imagine i'd feel quite like fearful like oh my god i got hit do you know what i mean like that could have been me in a real in real life i suppose does it bring it home a little bit yeah it does bring it home but it makes you more aware so if you stand next to we say you're in a, an amphibia village um, like a mock village and you stood by a window and you get hit well, you're not going to stand by that window again, are you? And more times you do it and more times you beep, it's going to sink into your head when you do lifetime, you know, on tour in Afghan or Iraq. You know, you're not going to stand next to a window because you're going to beep. You know, that sort of sinks into you. So it's a good way of training, really good way of training. It's, it's quite remarkable, I think, how much the rest of us don't know about this kind of thing because I wouldn't even think about, I'll just be wa- waltzing along and I wouldn't think about windows and that. Yeah, you've got to think of everything. You know, it's a 360 battle, you know, especially as a, especially when there are snipers on the ground. You, you need eyes in your ass, basically, you, you know, because uh, you, they can just pop you off. Tell me about, and I, I, you know, I hope you don't mind talking about it again. You must get asked all the time, but you've got the record for the longest sniper kill. Uh, tell me, you know, what, what what was that? I guess set the set the day up for me. What was what was that for? Basically, we had a mission to go into this village. Um, it was north of um, north of um, um, Helmand Province in a place called uh, the Tal- Talijan, and uh, there were there were two hills and we called them the two titted hills because they looked like two tits basically they were perfectly round and uh, beyond there was a village and it was our job to give overwatch for a patrol going in to the village um, and overwatch you need to be on higher ground and I had uh, three, four vehicles with me and I was the only sniper on the ground at the time so I positioned myself uh, on this wall because everyone thinks when I did my shot, I was laying down. Well, I wasn't. I was stood up when I did my shot. I was leaning against the wall. And 
I could see into the village where the patrol was going. Now, the patrol itself was a mixture of um, A&E, which is Afghan army, and um, British troops. And basically, the British troops were helping the Afghan army learn how to do better soldiering skills, basically. And they were going into this village. And I could see them marching in or patrolling into this village. And uh, where I where I was, I could see the Taliban um, queuing up for a massive attack. And I had an interpreter with me. And you have a thing called an ICOM, which is a radio which is tuned in to uh, Taliban frequency. And it's called ICOM chatter and they talk and talk and talk and you constantly send to the interpreter what they say and what they say in and they're saying the patrol they can see the patrol come in they're ready to attack you know and you then you've got to relay that information to the patrol to, for them to be more aware that there's an attack going to happen well I saw a glint in the distance and I couldn't work it out what it was so I looked at the glint and I realised it was a guy with a radio um, and the glint was the antenna um, of the uh, the radio he was speaking into. So I I figured out well I need to. I knew the distance and I knew the capability of my rifle. Now my rifle only shoots fifteen hundred yards. That's the max of my rifle. So I knew when I lasered with my laser binoculars that all four lines were flat. So I knew it was beyond the range of my laser binoculars as well. So I thought, I need to take a shot at this. So I fired my first shot. And this is roughly about, say, about half 11, I think it was. And it was a perfect winter's day, you know, like crisp, fresh. There was no wind. There was nothing. It was perfect. And I fired my first shot and I could hit, see it hit this field. So what I'd done, I looked, instead of looking at the crosshairs, I was looking below the crosshairs, so I fired again, and it went higher. So I went a bit high, low on my scope, and I fired again, again, and again. And it was called bracketing. So basically, you fire your first shot, and then you aim a bit higher, aim a bit higher, aim a bit higher. And eventually, I hit the compound wall with my ninth shot. And I could see it hit the compound wall, because the, the walls out there and the compounds out there are just made of shit mud and straw that's all they're made of and the guy disappeared now i know i didn't shoot him so he just disappeared and the icon went quiet so i, I couldn't hear anything and then suddenly i hear one voice and i said to the interpreter what's he saying he said so he's getting shot at he doesn't know where it's coming from he can't directly attack anymore. So now the village where the Taliban are queuing up this attack are blind. They don't know when the patrol's coming in because there's no one guiding them in from the high ground. So I've done my job. You know, I got his head down. And the, each bullet took six seconds of flight. So to fly there. And I, I didn't know the distance at the time. Didn't know the distance. Um so the patrol went in and basically they went into a kill zone. Now a kill zone is where there's nowhere to hide. There's no trees, there's no nothing. And it's a perfect kill box for you to attack them and cause the max devastation sort of thing, you know. And they opened up, the Taliban opened up and they were causing devastation in the, in the, uh, in the, patrol itself uh people were injured i think they had a few deaths as well so i made a decision to send because i had four vehicles i made one of my vehicles stay on the ground for me to give me protection and i took the other three vehicles so i told them to go into the um, low ground and act as a buffer between the patrol so you had the patrol you had my vehicles here you had the patrol there and the taliban fighting there and my lads in the vehicles here firing onto the village to give enough time for the patrol to get into safe ground and um, my lads were just opening up on it and then i carried on gauging uh taliban i took a few t i took a few targets out um and then i could see somebody of my right side and we always got taught it takes 20 minutes for the Taliban to flank you so always keep that in the back of your mind it takes 20 minutes train 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 20 minutes so I always taught my men think 10 minutes so 20 to flank 
that what to get around you and then you're screwed to get around you to get around you yeah so to for their foothold in the ground always think 20 minutes for them to get around you so teach 10 minutes so i taught my men always 10 minutes and there was a guy stood next to a um, a pump and now i thought he was a marker for the Taliban to go around him to come around me to take me from behind because as a sniper you're only meant to take one shot maximum three shots and then change your position okay before you're found out otherwise you, you're compromised then and believe me they would love to get hold of a sniper the Taliban would you know it's a prize thing why is that uh, because you're a sniper you know, uh, you're a valued target on the battlefield. Uh, yeah, it was like Second World War, isn't it? And things like that. You know, they loved, the Germans would love to get hold of snipers. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Yeah, so there was a marker at this uh, pump. I shot him. He was 675 yards away. He wasn't a marker. What he had done, he had knocked the head off the water pump and he flooded the irrigation ditches in the fields. So now my vehicles are stuck in the mud. Their wheel spinning in the mud because they're all flooded. And all I could hear is do 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 And I was going, where the fuck's that coming from? And I was looking everywhere. Um, and I was looking at my men and they're all conquered down. And I could see spray in the water. So they're getting shot at by an automatic weapon from somewhere. So everywhere that I engaged a target and took a target out in this village, I'm checking checking double checking i can't see anything but the only place i didn't check is where i saw that dicker later on that um, in the morning now this is about half this is about half past two now so in a contact we call them ticks troops in contact so when you're in a contact they only last 10 minutes 15 minutes sometimes a minute 
you know, but that minute or that 10 minutes or 15 minutes, it seems like a lifetime. But this one, this one lasted to about half 11 till two o'clock. It was full on, you know, firing, uh, full on contact this was. And we had support coming from us, but it would have taken time for support to get to us, you know, because we asked for more support. Well, anyway, I looked up and I could see two guys sitting down, um, one lying down and one feeding the machine gun. And I could work out it was a PKM, which is a belt-fed Russian machine gun. And so I thought, I need to do this. And I knew my distance and I knew my point of aim. All right. So I fired my first shot. Now, my shot was not meant to kill him. Now... People think I'm just going to kill these people. That wasn't my intention because of the round, how far it was. You know, I could, it was fucking small as hell. These people to shoot people that distance, it, you know, it, it'd be a fluke. And I call it a fluke all the time, but people go, you've done it twice. Well, that's two flukes, you know. So I fired my first shot. Um, it missed. I could see the splash. And I could see one of the guys stand up. So I fired my second shot and he went down. And I hit him here in the chest. And the only reason why we knew where I hit him is because I had to go up to the bodies afterwards to clarify they were dead and also to get the weapon. So you stopping the weapon recycling into enemy hands. So you want that weapon. Plus, it was a PKM belt-fed machine gun. That's a fucking prize to the Taliban, you know? So, um, yeah, I shot him here. He fell down. And then the other guy stood up. I fired my third shot. And because it's a second flight time, I moved my rifle over on the wall and I fired again. So now I've got two bullets in the air, three seconds apart. Uh, so he can't get away. He can't get away. So the third one missed and the fourth one hit him. And the fourth one hit him in the side. All right. And he fell down and uh, they they both died, basically. Um, they worked it out that a bullet itself has um, three stages. So basically it goes supersonic when it leaves the barrel. And it's fucking going rapid. And then it goes transonic when it starts wobbling in the air. Okay. And then it goes subsonic when it really slows down. It, well, my bullet went left uh, supersonic and it slowed down to roughly about 40 miles an hour. So if they had body armor on, it would have just pinged off their body armor, but they didn't have body armor on. And if he was in a car, you would have seen my bullet. If you were going 40 miles an hour, you'd have probably seen my bullet as well. So these guys, why did they... I mean, standing up seems like an error to me. Both of them stood up and that's when they got hit. And then also not having body armour. Was that quite common among the Taliban? Well, if you're... Yeah, they didn't have body armour anyway, um, unless they stole it off dead other troops, you know. But if you're in a firefight and one round went poosh by you, are you going to lay there more anymore? Or are you going to stand up and try and get away? You know, you're going to stand up and try and get away. What are you trained to do? Um, stay still. Really? Yeah, because you're not guaranteed they've seen you. Oh, but that's the hardest thing in the world in that moment because it's just pinged past your head. That is the hardest thing. Yeah. So when you see it ping past even closer, you're <sighs> like, right, just keep your head down. Have a nerve to stay there a bit, you know. Yeah, and I've been in them situations uh, when I was in Afghan when they've come fucking close and I've kept my nerve and uh, they haven't seen me they're just trying to flush me out and if you had stood up you know that would be it yeah they will whack me even harder that's so that's impossible oh my word the things that some of you guys do I, I have so much respect for it I, I, I'm just I, I'm, I'm amazed and also like the distance you're talking six seconds so again you know I was talking about I was shooting potatoes what amazed me was this potato was like the other end of like a field it was like so far away but what I was amazed by was the second I pulled the trigger the potato was like almost blown up before I'd done the trigger yep. I couldn't believe how fast it was so six seconds we're talking about a hell of a distance yeah 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 and then I heard, yeah, it was weird because then I heard a noise behind me and it was an Apache helicopter. And where there's two heli, where there's one Apache helicopter, there's two because they're sneaky like that. And they're good Apaches because if one helicopter looks at a target, the other one can lock onto it and fire. So they work as a pair. 
So they they got some really good kit in there, and the pilot came really low, and I could see the pilot, and I pointed to where I was shooting because I wanted to get my men out, you know, because they were getting shot at, and I didn't know if we took casualties or what state the vehicles were in or anything like that. So I, um, yeah, he lasered it, and he came back to me saying, yeah, it was two thousand four hundred seventy five. The target and he flew over there and you could see the dead bodies and it was clear to move over there and so we went up to the bodies but the rifle had already gone yeah they've already nicked it wow that's fast isn't it yeah brave as well because you could have you, you could have still been there getting them yeah for sure yeah so what was that figure say that figure again and what and what measurement are we in 2,475 yards. Is that is yards what people understand? And I'm just thinking of um, non-Brits and things. What what other things do people... Uh, no, sorry, 2,475 metres. Uh, not sure in yards, but it was just over a mile and a half. Okay, metres should be, yeah. A mile and a half. Oh, man. A mile and a half. That's that's insane. Wow. Okay. Well, and you and you you stand by that it was that they were both flukes. I always do. I always do. You know, I didn't go out to. I I I I shot at them to keep their heads down. You know, because I knew my point of aim. Um, but it just happened. That I ended up uh, killing them. So do do you think about? I mean, how many uh, lives of, of I suppose friends of yours in that moment you you saved? Uh, yeah, my wife says that all the time. She says. Um, because um, I've suffered from PTSD, she says to me, um, but you got to think all the time the lives that you did save, you know, from the stuff that you've seen and the stuff that you've done. You also saved a, saved a lot of lives, and that's what you got to think of. Think of the positive. Think of the positive all the time. She says it all the time. And I, I understand. I understand, but it doesn't stop them dark thoughts, you know. What kinds? What kinds of things? Are, if, if unless it's going to, you know, if you if you feel okay to talk about that kind of thing, what sort? Uh, what do you mean, sort of things? Um, what What is the dark thought? The, the dark thoughts at the moment. Um, suicide, heavily. I suffer from suicide ideation, so I think about it all the time. Um, I think about purpose. I've got no purpose in life. Um, and I do, I've done a few podcasts and they always say to me, are you happy? And I say, probably not, probably not. Happy in my marriage, but PTSD makes me unhappy, you know, and I'm on a lot of medication that helps me sleep, um, that helps me um, function through the day, you know, um, because on that my last tour I got blown up as well. So, and I got blown up on the right side, so all the pressure hit my right head side. And then two days before, no, sorry, three days before that, I got shot on the helmet and it went literally there and it went right round and came out the top of my helmet and it knocked me out for about 20 seconds. And then that, that sort of like, you think how fast that bullet went, you shooting that potato and that's hitting my head you know, um, and then I got blown up on the same side. So my brain was a bit bruised and a bit bit battered. So I suffered from um, a TBI, they call it, traumatic brain injury. And uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, Craig. And obviously, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'm sort of tempted to say about life being worth living. Say it. Yeah, say it, mate. Say it. Well, it's just that I worry you've heard it, you know, and it might just feel trite, you know. But but you know, you've saved a lot of of lives, Craig. You're you're a hero. But I, I I know that that might just fall flat to you, and not, you know, your wife's telling you it already. Yeah, she she does. She does. You know, we haven't said so we haven't slept in the same bed for a good couple of years now because I suffer from really bad night terrors. You know, I end up hitting her at night and stuff like that. So it's not a strain on our it's not a strain on our relationship because I always say to her, We're asleep. Do you know what I mean? We're asleep, so you don't know if we're together or not. You know, but in the morning I always go up to her and always kiss her and give her a cuddle to reassure that everything's fine. You know, because she does worry about me, you know. And I see a therapist, I see him every every Thursday I'll see him and I'll sit down and talk with him. Um about all my demons, about my thoughts and everything, because it's unnatural to kill someone, 
you know, unless you got, they've worked it out, haven't they? Like people have got a screw loose. That's the saying, isn't it? You know, and if you start enjoying it, you've got a problem, you know, but I was remorseful. I was remorseful for what I'd done, you know, snipering, killing and stuff like that. I, knew, I understand I was doing a job, but you think I was moving a thousand miles an hour in the army, you know, you, you, it's a job, it's a job, your tasks, missions, come back home, you're still in the army, you've still got things to do. And then, the, and once you're out of the army, your whole life slows down to a crawl, even, even a stop sometimes. And then you start dwelling on things and you start thinking about things and images come into your head. And that's when, you know, uh, medication does help. It's not the answer. And I tell people medication's not the answer, but it helps. It helps. I would I would say as well about the sleeping in, in separate beds. I, I think that's one of those things that people don't realise is extremely common. Uh, obviously not because of circumstances as extreme as yours, but just because loads of couples just don't. And I, I've realised that more and more. I've started asking people about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope my... Uh, the fiance doesn't mind me saying we've often had moments like that i have my own sort of nightmares again not because of anything like that but uh, you know similar sorts of things and then just moving and stuff and and it's such a it gives so much shame because there's this idea of like the couple need to be in the same bed and it's like it's it's so ridiculous because it's just the plate you're asleep like you say you're asleep the whole time you sleep when you're asleep when you're in a deep sleep you don't know you could be anywhere you know what i mean but it's just that it's just that bond, isn't it, you've got as a relationship. So Yeah, that's when you're awake. Exactly. And like I said to my wife, I love you. And that never, that'll never fracture, you know, and we're solid. And we've been through a lot, you know, with my, I've got death threats um, from what I achieved um, snipering. Um, so we had, a, we had, we had to go and hide him for three years. What was, what was that from? Um, basically, when I'd done my world record shots, um, it got leaked to the media and it never got censored. The story didn't. So if you're in the army and you speak to a press guy, the the story then goes to London District Media Ops in London and they censor it so he can't use his name, you can't say he's a sniper, you can't show his face, but it never did. It went straight to print. So my name was there, my face was there, um, my wife Tanya's name was there my daughter's name was there my dog's name where I lived where I was born where I grew up everything and um, we got put into hiding uh, in a, a secure house because uh, they undercovered a plot in Birmingham they found a car lined out with plastic uh, with my photo in it they wanted to cut my head off because it turned out them guys that I did shoot were Taliban leaders Take me through the moment that you realise that they've put your name in all this. Do you know what? Everyone said to my, my wife's such a good judge of character. She gets, she could be a psychic. She gets a gut feeling and that's never, ever let her down. She always says that my gut never, ever lets me down. And when she saw it in the paper, everyone said to her, let him enjoy it. Let him enjoy it. You know, he's done this. He's achieved this achievement. Let him enjoy it. You know, let him have his stardom. And Tanya goes, no, this, 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 this is not right. This is not right. And it turned out that it wasn't fucking right. Yeah. Because uh, I think uh, I've got I've got the paper clipping still where they, they, um, they backlashed on what I have achieved. And the following day, they backlashed on it saying that they, w they wanted to kidnap a Muslim soldier. And this is before Lee Rigby got beheaded in the street. Yeah, this is the same time all this was kicking off. And um, they wanted to cut my head off to show that, uh, you know, uh, how I wasn't, I'm not immortal or something. I don't know, but that's what they wanted to do. How did they get stopped? Um, we left the country. We left the country for um, three years. We went to America for three years. Just left the country. But you got to think, you leave the country for three years, you come back to this country, you got no credit history, you can't get a phone, you can't get car insurance, you can't get a car, because no one knows you. Because if you're out of the country for a year, fine, two years, fine, three years is the max, you have to start all again. And it was such a fucking effort to start again, you know? And, and I think with my PTSD, 
with my migraines that I get, not sleeping at night, pacing around the house, everything, anxiety, stress, that added to it more, you know. Um, and yeah, it never, never went away. And I suppose also the thing of, of sleeping in a different bed is that you can't get woken up now when you've got the night terrors. Does that just go on? Yeah, it does go on, yeah. I flush you around. Yeah, yeah. M- many times I've woken up just punch. I've, I've woken up myself punching the pillow, you know, or grabbing the pillow and I'm gripping it so hard. And that, that could be Tanya, you know, so. Man, that's hard. I, I get this uh, sleep paralysis, which is incredibly scary as well. But I can just about sort of shout and then my fiance will wake me up. She'll sort of shake me until I'm awake and I'm... It's fucking terrifying, man. But so tell me, so the PTSD stuff, did you know about that? Or, you know, do, do people who become snipers and that, do you get educated about what might happen? Do you get told that that's something that could happen? Or is that quite a new development that we're learning about with the mind and everything? Yeah, I think we're learning a little more. But through the 23 years that I served, I didn't know about PTSD. It's not a thing that's covered at all. You know, and people and friends and colleagues that I knew that had left the army, left the army. They didn't leave the army with PTSD because no one knew about it. Until a conflict kicked off, such as Afghanistan and Iraq, and people started getting injuries, started, people started getting PTSD, people started getting um, all these horrific injuries, then people stood up and go, it, you know, this is what PTSD is about. But when you go on tour, you don't get taught about PTSD at all. You get taught about different stuff, um, secret stuff that you should know about things that, you know, you've got to keep in the back of your mind. And, uh, and that's it. But you don't get taught about PTSD. I thought, I'm six foot four, you know, I was 18 stone. I, I thought to myself, I'd never get PTSD. Nah, not, not me, not me. I'm, I'm fine, you know. I didn't know I had it at all. My wife noticed first. She noticed that I was quiet. Um, I was a bit snappy now and again. Um, I wanted to be on my own a lot. I was crying for random, random things on telly. Um, like a Lloyd's Bank advert would come on with a black horse galloping and I'd just start crying, you know. Or I'd daydream and just start crying. Um, and then I started having really bad flashbacks, but I kept it to myself. But obviously, um, my wife knows me and she noticed it. And when I was going on exercise after Afghan, um, I had visions that I was still there. So I was taking it to the extreme. I was taking it too far on exercises whenever regiments were ever over squadrons were playing the enemy. I was taking it too far, you know, but in my head, I wasn't. And then the army noticed, and then I got called into the MO's office, which was the medical office, office, and uh, they told me to go for a, a psych val. And then I went for a psych val, and then they said, you got PTSD, chronic PTSD. So I've got multiple incidents that I covered in my life in the army, and I've got, yeah, multiple. And then it's, they said, yes, you're gone, you're gone. So half an hour in that office, gone 23 years half an hour to get kicked out and you never you didn't see that coming no what was that like for you um yeah horrendous absolutely horrendous yeah that was your life it was my life yeah that's all i knew it was always me army wife and she knew the army was always more important than her it's interesting you say more more important because I think most uh, or many husbands and boyfriends would, would, even if that were true, would sort of try not to let their spouse know, you know, but you were honest. It's a, it's a bit, it's a, honestly, mate, it's a big stigma about men not talking, you know, and now it's a big thing that men do talk and they need to fucking talk, you know, talk to your wife talk to someone like a friend or something but these charities they're fucking shit absolutely fucking shit especially for ex-veterans absolutely fucking appalling and i'd never recommend them to anybody never never they give you they give you 
eight sittings to six sittings, if that, and that's it. And then you've got to reapply. And then, and then I, I had, I went to one organization, they gave me six sittings. And um, she said, oh, we've extended our limit now. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, we've extended our limit with, uh, with yourself. I said, so what happens? And she goes, you've got to reapply in six months and then we can go through it again. I said, I'll keep be hanging from a fucking tree then. You know what I mean? So, yeah, these organisations are poor. They haven't got a clue. GPs haven't got a clue. You go to a GP office and say you're a veteran, all right? Uh, you've got multiple incidents that you suffer with, PTSD. They haven't got a fucking clue. The doctor I went to printed out veterans' mental health for the NHS. He printed out to me. And then they told me to go to where I went uh, previously, to where they gave me six sittings. And after that, they told me to go back to the mental health NHS. So this back and forth, no one wants to commit to one person, you know. And that's why the suicide rate's so fucking high, because these men think that, or civilians or um, veterans, they think the, that um, these people are giving up on them. Because they're just they're just doctors. They sit there. They haven't experienced what a soldier has experienced. They haven't experienced some of the trauma that um, these men go for, women go through as child, you know, and they suffer as adults. They haven't experienced that. They, you know, I remember um, I went into an office and she kept the door open and the waiting room was outside. And I was talking about my mental state how suicidal I feel, how shit I feel and everything. And she got a book out and she looked at this book. She went, flicked through it, looked at the page. She went, okay. And she drew me a graph on a bit of paper and she goes, yeah, we can see, um, we can't deal with you. And I said, why not? We only deal with mild trauma here. You got severe trauma. So we, I said, where do I go? So they sent me back to where I've just come from. And it's fucking horrendous, horrendous. Have you ever seen? You ever seen or, or read that uh, Catch Twenty Two? No. It's all about it's in the army, and it's a similar thing of just the, the it's the Catch Twenty Two. You know, like you're you're it's too serious to even treat it, so we're not going to treat it. Just the ridiculousness of the whole thing. It really winds me up because. <laughs> Oh man, we we need we need people. Whether some people are going, oh yeah, well I wasn't pro that war, you know, whether it's Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever it might be. But we need people like you, Craig, to basically look after us. But there's almost like, I mean, you know, you you'll have noticed this that I mean, in the US they are they have much more sort of you know care about their veterans and stuff than in the UK, right? You just feel that everywhere. It's almost like we're embarrassed in the UK to be proud of our veterans, and I think that's a disgrace quite frankly yeah it is it is i think we have one day remembrance day one day we have you know and i think we have uh, mental health week or something for men and stuff like that but people don't speak out enough people do not speak out you know and i think myself um i've got an instagram account and people um reach out to me all the fucking time all the time because if you've got PTSD, you understand PTSD, you're going to understand somebody else's problems or what they're going through. You know, I'm not going to sit there as a doctor, scratch my balls, you know, and go and look at the clock all the time and go, that's your hour up, mate. But that's the thing. If, if, if people were more vocal about supporting vets and people with PTSD like yourself, then you end up, that's how governments make their decisions and things. And then they'd be more sort of put towards people to help people like you. And that needs to happen. It does, mate. You, you know, and the government think pumping money into organisations like Help the Heroes, Combat Stress, and all these other organisations, pumping money into them to help veterans, it doesn't work because the money going into that organisation gets sucked up in administration fees, everything else, and nothing gets paid on what the veteran needs to get treated. Nothing, because it all gets sucked up. So if you gave a £1... To have, I found this out. You give one pound to a veteran organization, um, you know, um, that helps veterans. One p will go to where it's meant to be going. One fucking p out of a pound. So if you did, so if you did a sponsored walk and you raised five grand for an organization, that's not going to go where it's meant to be going to. Waste of fucking time. Waste of money. It's people making these profit from other people. That's what it is. It's 
you know, and it's disgusting, absolutely fucking disgusting. So what do we do going forward then? Because we're just making more soldiers, more people going off to wars, more people who are going to have PTSD looking after the rest of us and who are just going to have terrible lives and that's it. I mean, is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Is there anything we, we, that can happen? It's beyond my pay scale, that. Do you know what I mean? Beyond my pay scale is some of that. Like I said, if if I said, if I got um, a petition together, over a thousand signatures or 10,000 signatures and went to Downing Street and gave it them and then it got spoken to Parliament, they would say, let's pump more money into these organisations like Help the Heroes, Combat Stress, do 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 why? Why? Let's do something else fucking different. You know, let's make organisations different. You know, it's like people, I I pay out my own pocket for my therapy um, because it's easier. It's easier. And you get better quality. It's like going private, basically. You know, you get better quality all the time. But people, like my friend who's also a sniper, um, he had a massive fucking breakdown. He's still suffering now. And he left in October, just this October gone. He was my number two. And I always said to him, you'll suffer. You'll suffer. He goes, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And he fucking crashed a couple of years ago. And he was still serving. And he got kicked out. Um, uh, yeah, the other the other week he got kicked out. Because it's not October yet, is it? He got kicked out uh, not so long ago. He was meant to kicked out in October. But I think they brought it forward because of his condition. And... Um, yeah, he's got. He lives in a little council house now. His wife left him. Fucking everything because of his PTSD. His life shit. The only thing he's got is a service dog that he got given, and that's his life. You know, and he he, he loves that dog. It's 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 so not it's not on, and and I mean, does it give you some solace as well? I mean, uh, I know y- your wife was saying you saved a lot of people when you were out there, and you're also, from the sounds of it, saving a lot of people now who are getting in touch with you. Does that bring you some solace? She does it. She says, "I've seen a change in you." Do you know what I mean? I, she goes, she's, "I've seen a change in you." But some days I'll wear a mask. I'm very good at it, you know. And I say to her, "I don't bring my PTSD home." So I, when I drive to work, I cry, I scream, I fucking shout, I get out of my system. When I come home. I cry, I scream, I sit in my car for about a good 10 minutes before I enter the house, get rid of all my negative fucking thoughts. And I've got a book that I write everything down in as well, all horrible fucking thoughts that I go through. I write write down in this book. And then I come in the house, I'm like, ah, hi babe, how you doing? Because I don't want to infect her with my misery. And that's what I call it, infect. So if you was in a party and there's 10 of you in a room and there's one negative person, everyone else is going to be infected by that negative person, you know? So I'm best off just keeping it to myself half the time. And she understands. She understands. She's a strong woman, you know? But I don't bring it home now. I don't bring it home. She probably knows anyway that you've just been outside or, you know? Yeah, she she understands. Yeah, what I do. She must really hate the armed services. Um... Yeah, yeah, just the way the whole, where it all ended with me, you know, um, where it just one minute I'm there, one minute I'm not, you know, and now my job, my job spec is being taken by somebody else, you know, and oh, you're just a number, you, and it's true, you're just a number, you know, and how much you enjoy it while you're in there, and I say to Tanya, I say I miss it. I miss it. And she goes, do you miss then or do you miss now? Because the army is totally fucking changed now. Totally changed. You know, it's got more, much more PC. Uh, you know, it's, le- it's lost that bit of hardcoreness that it used to have. You know what? The, the one institution I really don't want to be woke or PC is the army. Like, I, that's the one I really want to just stay away from. Just, just fucking, you know protect us at all costs that's that's what you're doing i don't want to know but it was the other person i've just shot was the wrong this or that i mean how how those two things don't even work together you can't you can't have that you have to justify everyone you shoot you have to justify it like the police your hands are tied well that's fair enough you should justify you you yeah for sure you know but when they're shooting at you and they put their weapon down and walk away you can't shoot them you know um if they're throwing hand grenades at you you can't shoot them 
because you got to prove was it him who threw the hand grenade or did he throw a stone? So there's there's so many there's so many um, hurdles you have to cross. You, uh, that's another. Do you ever see see that film, um, Jack Nicholson one, when he says you can't handle the truth? Yeah. Yeah, that 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 actually changed like the way I thought about everything. That speech, because I, you know, I was like eighteen or whatever, so I was probably all you know into that stuff and really you know lefty whatever. And then that speech made me understand because that whole thing is having a go at Tom Cruise's character, and he's going, you know, it's fine for you to sit there and judge everything that we do, but we're the ones that mean that you can sleep under your nice cozy roof every night. We're the ones who have to go out there and risk our lives so that you're right. Uh, I don't want to, and I'm getting sneered at by someone like that. Nah, it's not on. Yeah, that's it's true, mate. It's true. That um, lad Bible video went completely viral, didn't it? it? Got eight million views so far. What do you think it is that made sort of people connect with it to such an extent? I'm big and cuddly. <laughs> with the tattoos, though, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, my probably my honesty. Um, I don't hold back. Um, there's no bullshit. It's just take it from the heart, you know, and. Yeah, it went, it went viral. I just done another one called the Vogcast. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and that was I've for an hour. That. that was an hour one. That was, and that's gone massive as well. Oh, has it as well? I haven't seen that. I was out eight weeks. It's been out that now. So yeah, it's done really well. That's a podcast where like Lad Bible are catching up with all the people they've interviewed in sort of more podcasty form, right? Yeah, if I have a hundred people. They've asked me to come back, so they quite they quite enjoyed my speech my well my speech my my talking and all that so this is what i mean these there's so many positive things you're connecting with so many people and, and like i said before i'm a bit wary of saying these things to you because i just think you'll be thinking i've heard it before i've heard it before and it's not enough but i do hope that you do think about these things and how important you are to obviously to a lot of people for it to to really you know it obviously touched so many people so that's that i hope that gives you some solace it does it does and i give it I give advice to a lot of people how I cope with my PTSD, how I cope with my demons, you know, and I mention medication because some of these people aren't on anything. You need to, and I always say, like I've told you before, you know, it's not the fucking answer. It's not the answer, but it puts you on that even keel so you can cope with life, life stresses, you know, and it takes you a bit of time to find the right medication because it took me a bit of time to put them on that even keel so you know you have downers you have bad days you have shit days and then you have you know, it puts you on the even keel but you're still going to have shit days what does it actually do so you take you take this drug and and so before that what's your head sort of thinking and then when you've taken the drug what's your head thinking or feeling well i when i'm on them um it makes me more calmer more karma. It doesn't stop the suicidal thoughts. It doesn't stop them at all. It doesn't stop thoughts of what I've done as a sniper either. Um, but it, it relaxes me more. I'm not so. I'm not hypervigilant as much. Uh, my anxiety is not as much, and stress, things like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. But I remember I went to the doctor, so I'm still not sleeping at night. So he took me off all my medication. And just diagnose and just um, prescribed me sleeping pills, and and I thought okay, but I didn't know they were sleeping pills at the time. I thought they were never antidepressant, so I was popping them away and I was sleeping all the way through the night, not a problem. And I thought fucking this is great, but I felt weird. I felt drunk because it was all my other medication coming out of my system. And I said to Tanya, I feel shit. I feel so fucking depressed, and she got concerned. You know, and this went on for about two weeks while I was just felt shit. I felt like I was suffocating. I, I felt everything on top of me, you know, and I went, I rushed to the doctor and I said, look, this um, antidepressant you give me is not working. It's not an antidepressant, it's a sleeping pill. I said, but you took me off all my fucking medication. You know, because I'm on four antidepre uh, three antidepressants. You must have been livid. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was fuming, yeah. That GP can just fucking take you off everything. Without telling you? Yeah, so he put me on my old stuff, and within two days it was back in my system, and I felt fine. So are you on it now? Yeah, I am, yeah. So I know I fucking need it. I know I need it. 
I think no, it's it's good it's good for people to listen and to hear that because I think look if that keeps you on an even keel then great I think it's also an inspiration for people to hear you because as you say a lot of men don't want to talk about mental health and you are sort of the epitome of manliness you got your big beard you got the tattoos big bloke sniper history all that stuff you know you you couldn't be more of a manly bloke so for you to come out and talk about it so honestly is an inspiration it, it's got to be done it's got to be talked about you know and i'm very open about my ptsd and and people ask when people come around for barbecues like tanya's friends or family and all that or other friends they're always interested in the army and they always want to know about the army and if if they want to know about sniping i tell them i'm not I, you know there's no there's not that thing where you like Second World War that people don't fucking talk about it or people don't talk about this or people don't talk about Afghan or people don't talk about Iraq. I do. I talk about it because people need to understand what it was like and people need to realise what it was like, you know. And and people listening now to this podcast, you know, if you're struggling, please go on to medication. It ruins your sex life. Believe me, I'm not quite open about it because it just dulls everything down. It makes everything numb, you know. But if you've got a hard partner with you, a good partner, they would understand that rather have your happiness and you in flesh and blood sitting next to them uh, rather than you in a casket getting lowered into the ground. Yeah, you've got to be happy with the person you're with. That's who you spend your life with, you know. That's who you're with every day. That's who you're playing little games with and going to dinner with and all that stuff. That's what life is. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about um, the longest kill, the book you wrote. Like, what, what sort of, what, what's that all about, and uh, where can people get it? I wrote the book because the Americans did a YouTube film of me, um, and they had me lying down. They had everything completely fucking wrong. You know, the Americans make it big, loud, and things like that. Who are we talking about? Like a TV channel or something? I don't know who who made it of me. I think it was the History Channel. Um, on Discovery, they 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 did one of me, and um, it was all wrong. And I wanted to put everyone right how the shot was actually done. But of course, you can't write in a book one chapter. It's going to be like a pamphlet, and it's going to be shit. So my ghostwriter who helped me, he said, "Let's write about your life, your life." And I said, "Okay then," because I've had an interest in life as well. You know, and my book was about this big, right? And you sit in front of a solicitor at the publicist, and he he windled it down to about a normal sized book, and he says <laughs> that can go in the book, that can't, you know. And I went, well, fair enough then, and, you know, and it, it just turned out to be a bestseller. Well, that's 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 the process, isn't it? Because if you write that much stuff, and they just take the very, very, very best, most entertaining or most informative stuff that's going to be a phenomenal book. Yeah, it was good, you know. And you can buy it on Amazon. So it's on, it's on audio. Amazon's a way forward, in it? You get everything from Amazon. So you can buy a house on Amazon now, I think. But, um, yeah, you can. it's on Amazon. It's on audio as well. And the guy, I'm not sure the name of the guy that does it, but his voice is spot on. So, yeah, does a does a credit to the book. They're good, aren't they? And they're good. I, yeah, I, well, I hope people go out and get it. Um, the Longest Kill, Amazon, probably all the other places you want to buy it. Oxfam, uh, Sue Ryder. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Craig, thank you for being on The Edge. It's been fantastic. No worries. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much, Craig Harrison, for sharing that time with us. I found myself really struggling with what to say. And I know I'm not supposed to admit that as an interviewer. I'm supposed to give off the impression that I have an otherworldly knack for knowing the right thing to say at the right time. But there's not always a thing to say. And I'm not a trained professional. And so have to be extremely careful, I think, when discussing such sensitive topics with an at times suicidal interviewee because you don't know what can set someone off. And as I was saying to Craig, you don't know what might just sound so trite and ineffective, words that he's heard a thousand times before. But I felt quite useless because looking into Craig's eyes, there's so much pain, the horrors of what he's witnessed, 
and there's also so much beauty. I really cannot stress enough what a fan I am of him, what generosity, selflessness and candidness can be found etched across his face. Even this sounds a little hackneyed, but I do hope his continued therapy and use of the drugs helps him in in any way possible to be comfortable and happy in his skin. And hey, get hold of his book, The Longest Kill, to learn more about him and his life. Knowing that his story is being told, being read, and people are relating to it and being helped by it can surely only help. Thanks to all of you for your continued support uh, on this podcast. Please do keep reviewing it uh, on Apple in particular. I got one from one called Psycho Drew in the US. It was four stars. Andrew has a wide range of interesting guests and is willing to discuss pretty much any topic in the true spirit of free and open discourse, which is crucial to a free and open society. He will remind you nearly every broadcast that he is anti-woke, which makes me wonder if it is the status symbol for him that being woke is for others. But overall, good show. I am left wondering how it is that Meghan Markle manages to live rent-free in the heads of every middle-aged white British dude. Maybe he can cover that in between ads for Jordan Harbinger. I don't know if that's a dig at the end about Jordan Harbinger. I know I do a lot of ads for him, but here's the thing about... I I don't know if you want to know how the sausage is made, but us podcasters do a lot of uh, swaps. That's how the ads work. And Jordan's podcast is so outrageously successful that for us to do a swap whereby uh, my advert features in one of his episodes. Well, that's literally 400,000 people hear it. So to then do the swap, it's going to have to appear quite a few times in my podcast to to be enough people. Uh, But there's also a dig in there about me being middle-aged. I'm 33. Uh, White, I would say I'm I'm Jewish, but that's a complicated issue. British dude, I suppose I am those things, definitely. Um, I did do a little video on YouTube addressing that because I think the issue here really is like I get that uh Psycho Drew is complaining about the the wokeness you know when I do all the different extreme ideologies and things but the fact that he then relies on ad hominem attacks about you know uh group identities rather than individual and rather uh than relating to the topics at hand is exactly why I do stuff about woke culture. It's exactly the kind of thing that irks me so. I do appreciate the kind words as well, Psycho Drew, but I've done a little YouTube video about exactly why uh, that that particular uh, review annoyed me. Um, Next one was from Anaska90, Anasco, a favourite, they wrote, five stars in the United States, truly one of my favourite podcasts. Feels like I'm sitting with a friend who's geeks out on the same weird things as I do. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop doing that. Feels like I'm sitting with a friend who geeks out on the same weird things as I do, but I'm just listening in on the conversation. Been listening for over a year and won't stop. Oh, thank you, Anasco. Great to hear that and, and hope you do keep enjoying it. Really nice message. And then the author called Silver Chickenfoot in the UK wrote uh, five stars. Difficult subjects, gracefully handled. Great opportunity to learn about subjects you don't easily get access to. Conversations with some often controversial characters without the screaming and finger pointing. Such a relief. Thanks, Andrew, for making my renovation project bearable. Stay calm and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Silver Chickenfoot. And I hope your renovation project uh, is is good. I hope everything's well renovated. That's all you can hope for with a renovation project, isn't it? That's all for now. See you next time when my guest or guests in the coming weeks will be James Altucher, Scientologist Chris Shelton and Mike Rinder and conspiracy analyst Michael Shermer. There's also, I think, a big, 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 big name guest coming up, but I don't want to say anything until it's definitely happening. So we will see. See you soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.